We serve a good God, don't we? Amen. 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 And He is at work. And He's in the business of changing people, isn't He? That's really what it's about, about changing hearts and lives. Well, this is Palm Sunday. Stay we remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem. Everybody was celebrating. They believed he was the Messiah who was coming to, to change their world, change their lives. And so along those lines, we're going to read from Matthew 21, verses 6 through 16. I'm going to stop in the middle and just for, for just a couple seconds. Matthew 6, 21, 6 to 16. Disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth. Let me stop there a minute. The, the, the crowds were in Jerusalem because they were beginning to celebrate the Passover season. And, and here's Jesus coming in, and they are really celebrating the fact that they believe he's the Messiah. They're celebrating the fact that he's fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah. And this is what it says in Zechariah. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Your king comes to you righteous, having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And to say Hosanna means, Save us, O Lord. Hosanna, save us, O Lord. Okay, and they really believe Jesus is the Messiah coming in, and he's going to save them. But he's not, they're not thinking he's going to save them from their sins. They think he's going to save them from Rome. Okay, remember, they're an occupied people right now. They're, they're paying taxes. They're, they're, they can be, talk about being, being beat up. They can beat up at any time. Uh, the Roman soldiers would come along and demand anything from them at any time, your food, your clothing, whatever. Okay? And they were, they were very impoverished people. And so when they say, save us, Lord, they're saying, Lord, we know you're going to come and save us from the Romans. You're not going to stop us from paying taxes. You know you're going to let us have food anytime we want it. We know we're never going to have to work again. It's going to be in utopia. Save us, Lord, save us. Okay? That's what's going on. They're expecting Jesus to change their lifestyle. But Jesus has something else in mind. We know that. If we go into Matthew, on to Matthew 21, starting verse 12, these are the very next verses, okay? Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, My house should be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They ask him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. So imagine with me, if you will. You're one of the crowd. You're there. You've been waving palm branches. Jesus come in, all this fanfare. It's like this, this big parade, okay? Everybody's shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna! And we follow Jesus to the temple. It's like, yeah, go to the temple, Jesus. Let's have this fantastic worship service, you know. We have a great band and everything's going to happen, right? Well, Jesus enters and he goes to those that are selling uh, the animals there. And in that day and age, like, if you were coming in, like, with a lamb to offer it, it had to be without blemish or spot. And so you'd bring it in the temple and the priest would look at it and they would always find a blemish on your lamb. So guess whose lamb you get to buy? You're going to buy mine, right? 
And the prices are kind of exorbitant because everybody's wanting a lamb these days, you know? And so they jack up the prices. And there, the money changer, you would come in, you bring money from maybe Roman money or even a shekel from out around the countryside. You had to have the shekel that went with the temple. And so they would weigh it out. Of course, the balances weren't always quite right, you know? They made it so when they weighed it out, they got a little bit extra. So it was kind of crooked. You with me on this? And so they were just simply doing it to kind of make money and, and, and exploit the, those who were coming to worship. And Jesus is upset with this. And he comes in and he starts knocking over the tables of the money changers. He starts freeing the doves, all this kind of stuff. He says, you know, this is a den of thieves. And it's supposed to be a house of prayer. Now, if you're watching on the airport saying, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you, this is our house of worship. We thought you came to, to, to change everything up from Rome. What are you doing this for? Who's going to clean up this mess, Jesus? We don't understand. And that's the point. The crowd wanted Jesus to change Roman government to their government. And Jesus came to change hearts and to change lives. You see, God specializes in change, but it's not always the change we want. The change God wants and the change we want is sometimes two different things. You with me on this? And I've learned something about God. He's always going to do things his way. You with me on that? We may want him to do things our way. We may pray those things our way. But God knows best. Remember that old chill father knows best? That's way before my time. But our father in heaven knows best. Amen? Amen. So he knows what he's doing. So when God brings change, sometimes it's not always the change we want. In the Old Testament, during the Passover time, it's where Passover started, Israelites had come out of Egypt. They'd kind of they'd gone to Sinai. They'd spent a year at Sinai getting the, new, getting the Ten Commandments. All this. Now they're headed towards the Promised Land. And they get to the edge of the Promised Land. They send spies in. Remember the story? They get in there, and there's these giant walled cities. And there's giants. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Okay? So they come back, and the spies report to the rest of of the people, what they've discovered in the promised land. So in Numbers 14, we read this. All that night, the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or if only we had died in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Then they said, we should choose a leader and let's go back to Egypt. Now let's think about this. They were in Egypt, right? Are you with me? Okay, they were in Egypt. It's not a trick question. Okay, and why were they in Egypt? What were they doing there? What were they? Slaves, all right? So as slaves, what were they doing? They were building somebody else's city. They were planting somebody else's corn, right? Weeding somebody else's garden, building somebody else's street. Had to do everything their masters told them. They were slaves, right? And now God is changing their lives. But to change their lives, they had to go through the wilderness, now, the wilderness is full of big bugs, right? I'm out in the wilderness of, of, of uh, Arizona, and they've got, they have like spiders that big or something out there, you know? Tarantulas. I mean, they're big and they're furry. And scorpions 
and snakes. I mean, it's not a fun place to be, right? So they've gone to this desert. Now, when they left Egypt, you know, every place there, I mean, they had, they had things like vegetables, melons, onions, you know, all that kind of stuff. They get in the desert and there's nothing there. So what does God feed them with? Manna, right? It falls from the sky during the night. It collects on plants. They go out, scrape it off, and you can make bread with it or whatever. Manna, right? And every day, they would go out and there would be manna. They'd scrape it off, come in, make bread, whatever, and they'd eat. The next day you go out, and guess what they had? Manna. And they scrape, you know, every day, that's what they did. After about a week of that, you'd probably get tired of that, wouldn't you? Not only that, but every day, think what they did. They pack up their tent, pack up their kids, load them on a cart, pull it through the wilderness about five miles, unpack everybody, set up a tent, right? Eat dinner, go out next morning, scrape manna, pack up your tent, put it on the cart, walk five miles. I mean, that was their life. And they're going to think, is this really what God has got for us? Is this the change he was bringing? Then they get the promised land, and now all of a sudden they've got giants and giant-walled cities. God, we don't understand what you're doing. Precisely the point. (laughs) You with me on that? And they decide, we don't want this change, God. We don't want this new life, God. We want the security of the familiar. We'd rather be slaves in Egypt, grinding somebody else's corn, than than fighting spiders and snakes and giants and, and having manna every day, Okay? This is way too demanding, God. This change is more demanding than we signed up for. So, God, we want to go back to Egypt. You know what I found, though? God takes us through the wilderness to get the Egypt out of our blood. You with me on that? So the journey to the promised land, a lot of times, is about getting Egypt out of our blood. And that's what God's doing. He's getting Egypt out of their blood. He's in the business of preparing us for the promised land. Okay? And so God works through our circumstances. God works the things we go for. Getting there is on him to change us. And change is difficult. Change is hard. The people in Jesus' day did not like the change he was bringing to their religious system. That's why Crystal told you. Five days later, they're shouting, crucify him. They want to get rid of him. They didn't, they didn't want it. Paul says this when we're talking about life. He says in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you realize that Jesus is in you less so of course you fail the test? But I trust you'll discover you've not failed the test. He says examine yourselves. When you're going through this time of the wilderness, going through this change time, God says examine yourselves, or Paul says. So let me give you some test questions. Okay? Test questions. Okay? Huh. You didn't know you were going to get tested this morning, did you? If it fail, you got to double your tithe. <laughs> Just kidding. First of all, do I hear Jesus in my words? In the words that come out of my mouth, do I hear Jesus? Second question, do I see Jesus in what I do? When I do things, do I see Jesus in that? 
Is my faith, third question, is my faith in anything or someone other than Jesus? We got real quiet. Who or what has the greatest influence in my life? And after answering those questions, I ask, what needs to be changed in my heart, or in my spirit, in my life, so I can say it's Jesus in all those questions? You see, that's part of what the wilderness journey is about. That's part of what this change is about. When Jesus goes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he knows in just five days he's going to be nailed to a tree. And it's time to shake the system up because he's tried every other way to shake them up. He's tried every other way he can think of to change them. He's healed people. For goodness sakes, he healed people. And they stole one to kill him. He fed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, with five, fi- five loaves and two fish. He fed 7,000 with seven loaves. And they still wanted to kill him because they didn't like the change he was bringing. So we need to ask ourselves these questions when God's walking us through times of change. Is it about Jesus? Or is it about me? Jesus confronts the religious leaders of his day on that first Palm Sunday. You know what he tells them? The kids got it right. The kids got it right. They're singing Hosanna. Hosanna to Jesus, you know? They're just, they're just having fun. Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! They're just laughing and having a great time. They're celebrating Jesus. And he turns to the religious people and says, You're missing it. The children got it right. Just before this, in Matthew 18, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He uses the word change. You must change. And the words are not repent. The word means to change your thinking, change your perspective on yourself, change your perspective on life, change your perspective on God. Live and think and act differently than you have been doing. So unless you think differently and change the direction and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, in that day and age, we've got to look at what Jesus talked about. Children were, were different, differently seen in that day and age than they are today. Okay, That doesn't mean the parents didn't love them. But in Jesus' day and age, a child had no social status, no rights, no power at all, until he or she could at least work in the family business, or became, or a boy became a child of the covenant. So he says, unless you change and become like little children, he says, you've got to see this, hear this. That means you seek no social status. It's not about power. It's not about money. It's not about cars. It's not about clothing. It's not about anything. You have to realize if you're going to really change, become the type of people Jesus wants you to be, it's not about social status. And secondly, you can't seek power. Jesus is trying to get them to see God's in control. Got me? God's in power. And we can't take that power from him. The change he's trying to bring in that day and age is to get the people to get their eyes off themselves, get their eyes off all their laws and put it on, put it on their father in heaven. He's in control. Of course, they didn't like that. You realize we're not in control. 
And thirdly, realize he's saying you have no rights. Oh boy. We're country in this country, we're all about rights, aren't we? I have the right to this and the right to that. You have the right to make silence. You know, I never that's something else in it. You have you have rights. But a child in that day and age had no rights. And he's saying, if you're my your father or my father, you have no rights. If I'm going to change your life, you have to understand. All your rights belong to your God in heaven now. He is the Lord of your life. Let's change things. Tough, man. So do you want to build a growing relationship with your father in heaven? Do you want God to transform you? Well, here's the way. Give up your rights. Give up being in control. Give up power. And trust God more than anything else in your life. And you'll grow. You'll be changed. But that's the hard point, isn't it? We want change. We want the change we want when we want it, right? Mark Twain said, the only one who welcomes change is a wet baby. Huh? Is that right? Huh? Some other, someone else said, uh, uh, if your religion doesn't change you, you should change your religion. Charles Kettering said, the world hates change, yet it's the only thing that brings progress. And one of the major factors I've discovered God uses to bring change is hard moments, tough times, wilderness journeys. And we avoid the wilderness like the plague. And God walks us into the wilderness because he loves us and cares about us and wants us to grow and change. We say, no, God, what are you doing? I don't like this. No, no, I want to go back to Egypt. I want the vegetables, man. I'm tired of snakes and scorpions and tarantulas. And I'm tired of manna every day. I'm tired of packing up my tent every day. I'm tired of walking only five miles and putting it back up and going and getting manna. I'm tired of it. Well, that's the way to Egypt. Go ahead and go, but I'm not going with you. If you're going to walk as my child with me, we're going that way. We're going to, eat, we're, we're going to the promised land. And this is the way. So child, you got a choice. You can trust me. You can believe I'm reliable. You can depend upon me and follow me. And I'm only going to give you the light for the next step. That's all I'm going to give you. I'm not going to tell you how this journey is going to go. I'm not going to show you that. That's not yours to know. All you need is the next step. So either trust me and walk with me, or you can go back to Egypt. It's up to you. But I'm not going back. You go by yourself. That's the moment of decision, isn't it? God brings us to places where we decide whether we really believe in him or not. God brings us to places where we decide whether we trust in him or not. God brings us to places where he, he, he speaks to us and says, will you rely upon me alone? Not on what you see, not on what you hear, not on what's going on around you, not on anything else. Will you rely upon me alone? When God works in this world, change happens. What is a miracle? It's a change. Any place God moves, there's change. And if our belief in Jesus isn't changing us, then we need to refigure what we really believe. 
And Jesus goes into Jerusalem this day. He says he's tired of this empty religion. He's tired of this religion that's just in it for the money. He, he, and he drives people out. He says, you know, my father's house is to be about prayer. It's to be about this relationship with my father. It's not about what you want. I've tried every other way, so I'm, I made a whip. I'm kicking over tables. Or whipping, I mean, just think, Jesus whipping people. Whip comes down on their back. Get out! Get out! People can't hear my father speaking. It's so noisy here with these sheep and these doves and these goats. Get out! My father's house shall be a house of prayer. Not a den of thieves. Jesus came to change people. Jesus came to change lives. Jesus came to change the temple. And Jesus comes to change the church. And we struggle with that. Because it means we have to trust God alone. We have to trust him. We have to leave behind some things. Maybe they're important to us. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's what we want. Maybe we're going to be so, we're to be so putting ourselves out on the edge, you know. We want to trust. If you don't, you'll never get into the promised land. Because in a comfortable, safe, warm place, faith stagnates. Ever been past a stagnant pool? It smells wonderful, don't it? Have you ever smelled people's faith and smelled putrid? But the Bible says we should be a fragrant offering to the Lord. We should smell good. Maybe that's another test question. Does my faith smell good? So spiritual life is God calling them to forget the past, to step away from that, and to go with him into the future. To be willing to face the hard moment of change. Anybody remember here the Wide World of Sports, that television show? Remember that? And, and you know, it, I talked about the, the thrill of victory and the agony. Remember that? Remember that skier going down the agony feet? He goes, ah, off the side. Remember that? He's coming down this jump. And all of a sudden, he's off and he's banging all over the snow. What's the story behind that? They, they, that skier they talked to after he came to. <laughs> and anyone know what happened? Because he had perfect form coming, coming down the slope. He said, well, as I was coming down the slope, he said, I realized it was faster than it had ever been before. And I, I don't know, they got freezing air, but it was, you know, like ice. He said, I knew if I jumped, I was going to go beyond the safe landing area and I could kill myself. So I intentionally went off the side to keep from going too far and, and, and being killed. He took the agony of going off the side. He, by the way, all he had uh, was a headache. Probably a big one. He needed to change because where he was going was disaster. You with me on this one? God says, you're headed for disaster. You're headed for disaster. We're going to take you to the agony of defeat. Whoa! You know? And you get banged up a little bit. But I would rather have Spirit-led change than godless security, wouldn't you? 
And those are the questions he asks us sometimes. There's an interesting story in, Matthew, in John 5. A story that just, I think about that, I think, wow. There's a guy who's been there and he's been an invalid all of his life. And he's laying by the pool of Siloam. He's been, I think, 38 years, I remember the story, right? 38 years in that condition. And they believed that an angel would come down, stir the waters, whoever stepped in it first was healed. So all these, all these people that are sick and lame are laying around the pool. This guy's been there every night for about 38 years. And somebody else always beats him into the pool so they're healed. And Jesus comes to this guy and he asks him an interesting question. Do you want to get well? Now think with me for a moment. You've been crippled all your life. All your life people have to carry you on your pallet around wherever you want to go. You can't walk anywhere. You can't even go to the bathroom by yourself. Can't do anything. And, and this, this guy comes and says, do you want to get well? It's like, what kind of a question is that? I think, why did Jesus ask him that question? I thought of some things. You see, that man's condition had become a way of life. If he was made well, he would have to change his way of living. No longer could he sit and beg for money. Hmm. This man's condition had become a way of seeing himself. I'm a cripple. That's who I am. God made me this way. That's what, that's what I am. And if Jesus healed him, he couldn't see himself as a cripple anymore. Being a cripple had become a way of making excuses. Oh, I can't do this because I'm a cripple. And Jesus would take that away. He couldn't say that anymore. And he could have blamed everybody else for his, for his problem. Well, it's not my problem. I'm not well. Nobody lifts me up and gets me in the pool in time. So it's not my responsibility. It's everybody else. It's not my fault. He's got to be responsible for himself. And the man's condition had become permanent because he saw no other way of changing. So when Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? He's saying, do you really want to change everything about your life? You're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to become responsible for yourself. No more excuses. Oh. That's quite a question now, isn't it? You see, when Jesus works and brings change, it means we have to stop looking at things the way we've always looked at them. It means we become responsible. It means that, that we trust the Lord enough to say, sure. Can you imagine? Jesus saying, okay. Stand up and walk. I've walked for 38 years. I don't even know what it feels like. Jesus, you want me to stand up and walk? Yeah, stand up and walk. What do you do at that moment? I can't. Sorry, Jesus. This ain't going to happen. There's nothing there. My eggs don't work. What kind of a joke is this? You making fun of a cripple now, Jesus? Trust me. Rise and go home. What do you do? See, that's the choice. When Jesus comes and brings change in, in, in Jerusalem that day and age, when he comes and brings change into our lives, you know, we, he tells us to do things. You say, well, I can't do that. That's because he's not in the picture right now, right? All you're looking at is who? Me. I'm a cripple. I can't do this. Nobody gets me in the water. Sorry, Jesus. This ain't going to happen. And it probably won't. It takes effort. It takes faith. It takes trust to believe Jesus can change our lives. Believe Jesus can change our families. Believe Jesus can change our church. What do you do? Huh. God is bringing change. Okay? 
He's bringing change. Jesus brought it to Jerusalem that, 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 that year when he came in. He tried everything else. Finally, it's a whip. He challenged their religious system. He challenged their beliefs. He challenged everything about them. And that wasn't what they wanted. They wanted to be comfortable. They wanted to be safe. They wanted Jesus, to, the Messiah, to come and just, you know, fix everything. And they didn't have to do anything. Doesn't work that way. And so they crucified him. And Jesus comes to bring change into your life. He's bringing change in this church. The choice is to trust him. To embrace it. To step into it. To decide God is reliable. I can trust God. My faith is in Jesus. It's not going to be comfortable for a while. It's not going to be easy for a while. But I'm not choosing the warm, safe place. I'm choosing to live where faith lives, and that's on the edge, just on the cutting edge, a hard edge. Those who walk there discover the power of the living God. Those who walk there discover his peace that passes all understanding. Those that walk there discover faith that goes beyond anything they're fearful of. Those who walk there no longer have to worry about anything because they're trusting their Father to take care of them. Those who walk there grow because they come to realize God is really God. And I can depend upon him, I can trust him, I can lean upon him. And even if hell or high water comes, he's still Lord of all. And I will follow him to the promised land, even if I've got to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. I will not quit following Jesus. So bring it on, Jesus. I let you change my heart. I let you change my life. I let you change my family. I let you do whatever you want because my faith is not in stuff. It's not in people. It's in you. And what can God do with a people like that? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And Father, I pray for all of us as we walk with you in this journey of life. That you'll forgive us for those moments, Lord, we take our eyes off of you and put them on us or others. That, Lord, you'll continue to be patient with us, kind and compassionate. And gently, Lord, help us to turn our eyes back upon you, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set down before you, Lord, you endured the cross, despised its shame, Now you're seated at the right hand of our Father in heaven. Intercede for us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to trust you in all that we do. We ask it in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You are.